If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to to open them and turn over to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you have a little phone app, you can turn it there. We'll have the scriptures on the screen too. We're going to look at a story today, something, coincidentally enough, that Jesus has to say about children. Christ and kids today. Let's see what Jesus has to say. In Matthew 18, starting in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The word that the writer uses here for greatest is this word mazon. It's the the same root Greek word that for mega. You know, we have the word mega in the Greek language. It's a word of comparison. And and it asks, what he's asking is, it's the biggest of something. What's the biggest or has the most? And the idea is that more is better. So who's the greatest? Who who, Who has more? So when they ask him who's the greatest, what they're really asking is, Who is better in the kingdom? Who has the most status? Who's going to be the most popular in the kingdom? Who's going to be in charge? Who's going to be admired? Who's going to be the most important? And by the way, this is not just a first century question. This is a 21st century question, right? This is a question of our day. Who's better? Who's more? We like to rank things. We tend to just have this natural tendency to want to rank things, right? How many of you like barbecue? Right. How many of you know what's the best barbecue around here? If we asked you, you would say the best, right? Whatever's the best, right? Someone shout out the best barbecue. Okay. I heard several things. James makes the best barbecue. Okay. Right. If, if you want the best, if you want to have tacos one night, you want to know what's the best tacos. That, by the way, is Sophie's. It's just down the road. Sophie's food truck. It's the, it's the absolute best. We, we talk about the best even when it comes to, like, we rank ourselves, you know, in these subtle ways when we talk to each other and we, we gauge each other's, uh, like, you, you talk to somebody about their education, like, oh, where'd you go to school? Well, someone might be like, well, I, gra- I didn't go to college, but I graduated from high school. You're like, okay. And someone else said, well, I went to community college. You went to Alabama. Someone else says, well, I went to Sam Houston State, or I went to Texas A&M, or the University of Houston, or something like that. Or if you're very special, you go to the University of Texas at Austin. Um, It's a very special place. And I guess if you're super fancy, you can go to like Harvard or Princeton or something like that, right? But we have these ways. It's true that we're kind of obsessed with more and greater and better. Now notice what Jesus does. He says this. So they're asking, who's the greatest? Who's the best? He called a little child to him, and the word that he uses here for for a child is specifically in the Greek, it's specifically someone between the ages of two and seven. So we can say like a five-year-old. It's not a teenager. He's calling a child, like a five-year-old, and he has them stand in the middle of them. Now, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm thinking like, what, what in the world is Jesus doing, right? We ask this question about who's greater, who's the best, and his response is to put this five-year-old between us. Because in Jesus' day, children really didn't have much of a status at all. I mean, they were like considered really, really low, you know? It was like dogs and cats and kids were kind of like all sort of like right there. It was like, isn't that terrible? But that's kind of the way it was in that day. And so Jesus does this really interesting thing. He pulls this child, and then he says this in verse 3. He says, truly I tell you, unless you change. And the verb there literally means to turn around. To, to The idea being, you guys are going in the wrong direction. Unless you turn around, 
The way you're thinking, you change course right now and become like a five-year-old, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And remember, he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to, you know, these grown-ups who had left everything to follow him. They're his disciples. And Jesus says, you're going in the wrong direction with this way of thinking. You've got to turn around and be like a child to experience the kingdom of heaven. In verse 4, therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of a child, because that's the status they had. They had a low status. And the idea, the idea they're lowly is to take the lowly, is to, to humble. The, literally, the word means to flatten something, like you just squish them down. Whoever takes this, whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. So I want to talk a few minutes today about what it means for us to humble ourselves, to bring ourselves low, how this relates also to the discussions we've been having in our series, Soul Care, um, about for those who have been feeling burdened and weary and feeling anxious and tired. Because I want to tell you something. It turns out Jesus does not want to take people who are weary, feeling kicked like a dog, you're already feeling low, and make you feel even lower. That's not what he's about. He actually wants to teach us this view of ourselves that'll bring us more in touch with the kingdom that he came to announce, okay? Now, let's talk about a few things. In our culture today, we are obsessed, one of the things we're obsessed with is information and knowledge, right? I was at the airport a few weeks ago, and as I'm sitting in the little terminal waiting for the flight, and I'm sitting there, and I'm looking around at everybody, and half the people were on their phone, and they're scrolling through, what are they looking through? They're looking for little bits of news and information, or memes, or little things, and, you know, whatever they can, whatever they can soak up as fast as they can, they can scroll. At the same time, I'm sitting there, and all this is going on, it's a very noisy place, there's like dozens and dozens of television screens, like every 20 feet, there's television screens on, and they're all on the news, I think like CNN or something like that. And they're all, everything on the, it's just scrolling all this, this information of these, these, you know, experts talking about whatever was going on at, on the day right then. And some of the TV screens you couldn't really hear very well because it was very noisy in there. So they had closed captioning so you can read what they're saying at the same time, which I appreciate at my age, at my house, I pretty much watch everything with closed captioning now. Has anybody else gone to just solid, I need the captions on. Um, it really annoys some people, but like I gotta, it, it, that's the only thing I don't like about going to the movies now because it doesn't have the captions. I'm like, well, I can't understand anything they're saying. It just sounds like, rawr, rawr, rawr. Um, but yeah, the closed captioning, I mean, it's a lifesaver. Um, now, here's what else is happening. During the news broadcast, people are on their phones. So during the news, they're talking, they have closed captioning, talking about, so it's telling me what they're saying. There are these other news strips going across the screen, these bottom of the screen. Um, and it's got more information. One is telling like the Dow Jones average, like right at that very moment, right? Because I didn't need to know it this morning, I need to know it now, and then now, right? Every single moment, the Dow Jones average. And then another thing is showing the weather report in 20 different cities. Like that's important to me for some reason. And to all these, you know, what the temperature is everywhere. Another, another thing is showing uh, the sports scores in four different leagues that's happening right now. All this sort of, and then there's other headlines that it's scrolling in case you're, you, you're not getting, you know, the right headline or something like that. There's just, if you wanted it information, it's like an all you can eat buffet right in that moment. 
And, and if, there, if there was anything anybody said that you didn't understand, well, what do we have the ability to do now? Like if they said something, you're like, I'm not sure about that. We go on our phones, you can go straight to like, we can Google it and Wikipedia and whatever it is to find out, you know, what, what did that mean? So we can all become really instant experts on all this stuff. So there's this quote from olden days that says, knowledge is power. I think it was Francis Bacon. It said, knowledge is power. The more you know, the more powerful you become, the more successful you can become. And I think that may be the mantra of our time, really. If we had to like look back on this day and age and like say, what was this age all about? It was knowledge is power. The more you know, the more powerful you are. Because it's true not only on like an individual level, but it's true on a macro level as well, right? So those individuals who have the most knowledge you kind of have, you're, you know, we're told that you have a strategic advance over, uh, advantage over somebody who has less knowledge, right? That's why it's so important to go to school, get more knowledge, because you'll have a strategic advantage over somebody else, right? Uh, those companies who have more information, like about their customers, you know you're, how your like, Alexa is always listening to you, and it's gathering all this information about you, and Facebook like, knows all this stuff about you? Because those companies know the more information they get about you, they have a strategic advantage over their competitors, right? Knowledge is power. Uh, those countries, it's, it's even on the huge national scale, those countries that have more information that can like spy better than the other country and who can invent things and create technology to like manipulate atoms and make better bombs and things like that, they hold a more powerful position over other nations. And so in our culture, there seems to be this truth that knowledge is power in our secular culture. But what is the Bible? have to say when it comes to knowledge. The Bible seems to suggest that the true knowledge is knowledge of God. It's called the knowledge of God, to know God better and to know who he is. The Bible doesn't really point to like gathering more facts as the greatest aim in life, but the greatest thing to grow in is the word it calls wisdom. To grow in wisdom, which is really an understanding of who God is and what his greatest desires for you and I are. And what we see today is that actually knowledge just by itself, knowledge without wisdom is actually a very dangerous thing. Number one, you can OD on information. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever find yourself really stressed out and you realize, I think I need to turn this thing off that I'm watching or scrolling, right? How many times have you felt so overwhelmed by the sheer volume of information that it like makes you physically sick, right? I've had that experience. It's like, because we, we were just bombarded with more information than ever before in human history. There's also a, a, an, an unhealthy reliance on knowledge to make you great. And even more dangerous is something they tell us, which is that a little knowledge in a lot of things can be very dangerous. A little knowledge in a lot of things is kind of the epidemic of our age. Um, a little knowledge in a lot of areas with no wisdom to hold it with humility. So if we hear about something, we, we can go and we, we 20 minutes on YouTube, right? And we become an armchair expert 
in politics and religion and philosophy and cooking and movie critics. You know, we, we can become an expert just 20 minutes on YouTube, right? Because now we have a little knowledge in this thing that we've never even looked at before. What often happens that, is that we, we hear a bit here or a bit there, and especially if we're raised with a certain viewpoint that we never ever question, what happens is we, we think we're going to do research. I'm gonna go do research on the internet. But what we're really doing is we're gaining facts that supported our view that we already had. Anybody guilty of that beside me, right? And when we're faced with additional facts, sometimes we reject them because they don't quite fit in with our preconceived worldview. And they have a word for this. This is a, a social phenomenon, right? This is called confirmation bias. And it, makes, it means we, once you have a, a worldview, you make new facts that come in, you make them fit. And the facts that don't fit, you just ignore them. It's confirmation bias. Or we hear someone say something, and we'll just be like, well, they don't know what they're talking about. Even if they've got like, some kind of like, PhD after their name. We're like, they don't know what they're talking about, because it doesn't fit with my facts, right? And so a little bit of knowledge in a lot of different things can lead to a kind of arrogance. Arrogance. And nobody wants to be around that kind of person, right? Like, I, I never blame anybody for being ignorant. Ask me about nuclear fission, I have no idea. I'm totally ignorant, right? But if I was like, if someone said something about nuclear fission and I was like, I don't think that's true, well, that would be like an arrogant ignorance, right? That's the worst, the worst. Jesus points to this child and he says, hey, if you wanna be great, you gotta change. You gotta become like a child. Why? Because a child is very, a child is unique. A child is filled with uh, a child is full of wonder and, and awe and a really important thing, questions. Questions, right? A child is not necessarily filled with knowledge. Now my kids, when they grow up, they had some really cute, interesting ideas about how the way the world worked. And they would say, I think things happen like this. And they were just bizarre and so creative, right? They're not necessarily filled with knowledge. But then, but they also know, I don't really know this. I'm just making this up. And so what were they, they were filled with questions. They were always asking questions. Why is this? How does this work? Why is this? And, and so they have a thirst to understand the whys of things, the hows of things, the secrets that are the world. I, I don't think I've ever met a like cold, sophisticated five-year-old who is like, I don't have any more questions, I got it figured out, I'm good. I don't need to hear any explanations, right? It just doesn't happen because a, a child has a questioning mind. A questioning mind, that's just part of being a child. And in Jesus' day, here's what's interesting, especially in, like, in Jewish literature, you see this a lot in rabbinical literature. In Jesus' day, this was considered a sign of wisdom. Not someone with all the answers, someone who asked all the questions. That was considered wisdom. Have you ever met like an older person, you know, like way up there in their, in their, in their life and, and they just have this like zest for life and they want to learn? Ah, those are my favorite human beings on the earth, right? Just somebody who's just like, ah, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I want to find that out. I love that. That's so beautiful. It turns out, there is something else in our DNA that struggles against this. And so it's not really our fault. There is this other psychological phenomenon scientists have discovered. It is called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Anybody ever heard of Dunning-Kruger? 
It was this series of experiments they, they did at a university. It was so interesting. But it is this cognitive bias that, so that people with limited competence in an area tend to overstate their abilities. Limited competence tend to overstate their abilities. In other words, the less you know, the more you think you know, right? And the reason is it's because you don't know what you don't know, right? Makes sense. And the opposite also turns out to be true when they did these studies on people. The more someone becomes proficient in an area, like they've spent their whole life studying this thing or whatever it is in that particular little field, the lower they actually rate themselves at being an expert. This Dunning-Kruger effect. To put it another way, that way, the more you know, the more that you know that you don't know. Amen? Anybody ever feel like that? The more you dig into something, you're like, well, okay, I realize I have no idea. Right? I've had that experience a lot. It's absolutely true. The Dunning-Kruger effect has been observed. It's observed in business people, business experts, politicians. Doctors tend to fall into this. Airplane pilots, that's kind of dangerous, right? Professors, and yes, even pastors, right? This Dunning-Kruger effect. It can lead to overconfidence and arrogance, really poor decision-making, because we just assume, well, I have, a, I have a little bit of knowledge in this area, because I watched that 20-minute YouTube video. And so now, I pretty much know, I know, I got it, right? And so we can make really bad decisions. It can prevent people, what it does is it prevents people from learning and, and growing and improving their, their skills or their knowledge because they think they already know enough or are good enough. It's just a bias we all have. So understanding, you know, knowing that we have this bias is kind of like half the battle. So know you have this battle. It's exactly why all of us, as disciples and followers of Jesus, we've got to humble ourselves like a child and admit that we don't know everything. And that we can always learn from others. We can always learn. It's, it's one of the reasons that we need to be careful also not to judge other people based on our own limited perspective. Because they might be coming at something from a whole different uh, you know, life history than, than we have. We may think we're better or smarter than them, but we may be missing something really important or valuable that they have to offer. In, in Jesus' day, there's... Some of the biggest people who were perpetrators of this were the Pharisees. The Pharisees were really bad. They were the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They were the experts of the law uh, in Jesus' time. But often what happened is when Jesus would encounter these experts who like believed that they knew more than everybody, they were the worst at understanding what Jesus was saying. They couldn't understand his teaching, his authority. They were really confident in their own righteousness and their own knowledge, but they were blind to their own ignorance and their own hypocrisy. One time in, in the book of John, chapter 9, there was a blind man that Jesus healed. And this blind man had the nerve to be healed on the Sabbath, right? And that was like a big no-no. You're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. And he got healed of being blind. How dare he, right? And these Pharisees, believe it or not, were like up in arms, like, ha, ha, what? What are you doing walking around with sights? You can't do this. And, and they're like, no, this man, this, this Jesus, he must be terrible. He's false. He, you know, he broke the law. Uh, and so, because that was just the worldview. And this guy then, he had the nerve to try to educate them about who Jesus was. And they came back and they said, we are the experts. How dare you try to lecture us? Right? So we could just see, uh, you know, from our vantage point, we could look back and go, gosh, those guys were just really blind. But it's, 
It's the DNA in all of us, right? Jesus later told these same Pharisees, he said, because you refuse to see, you're the ones who are actually guilty of sin. What he was saying is you're the ones who are blind, not this guy. There's a great story I, I ran across of the Desert Fathers. You guys have heard me talk about them a little bit. They're so fascinating to study. These are a group of kind of these just really wise, uh, holy monks. They lived in Egypt, like in the fourth through the sixth century. So we're talking like 1,500 years ago. These guys just dedicated themselves to like prayer and, and reading the Bible and just meditating on the Bible. So anyway, they became really famous for their wisdom. The Desert Fathers, they were Christians. People would come from all around, all the different regions would come and seek them out and ask them questions about God and the Bible. And one day, uh, the leader of this one group of the Desert Fathers, he, he was known as St. Anthony. And he decided to do this little experiment. He had his other monks that were kind of his disciples. And he had them sit down. And he asked them this really deep theological question that they had been looking at. And he went one by one. He said, so what do you think? He asked his monks. And starting from the youngest to the oldest, the monks would answer. They would say, well, sir, I think the passage means this. Then the next monk would say, well, I think it's, it means this. I, I really have studied this out, and I think it means this. And around and around they go, they go, and everybody's telling what they think about the passage. Finally, they come to the oldest monk in the monastery. He had been there the longest. St. Anthony asked him, what do you think it means? And he says, I don't know. And St. Anthony says, you have answered correctly. <laughs> You've answered correctly, because there's a kind of a humility in that. Now, we're not talking about some kind of like postmodern agnosticism, you know, like, oh, we just can't know anything. You just can't know anything. I'm not talking about that. That's not that kind of not knowing. This is the kind of wisdom that comes from knowing what you don't know, knowing what you don't know, and always being eager to grow in your faith, to be, to be discipled by the Holy Spirit. We always want to be eager to grow and be discipled by, this, by the Holy Spirit. We're discipled by our community, by your elders, by your pastors, your teachers, your parents, right? And that, my friend, is a childlike attitude. And I think Jesus is inviting us into that. Unless you change, he says, unless you get, let go of some, you know, all of your degrees and your titles and your idols, uh, unless you become like a child, teachable and full of questions, You'll never be immersed in the kingdom of God. You'll always be kind of like doggy paddling, but never diving in. I want to be somebody who just dives in all the time, right? Uh, just asking, Holy Spirit, teach me, teach me. Oh, I want to grow. Have mercy on me. And here's why having a childlike attitude, we're going to get into this next section now. Here's why having a, this, teach, this childlike teachability, this is why it has everything to do with the series that we've been in on soul care, because when you let go of the exhausting fear or anxiety that you have to have the right answer on everything, or you will be deemed unworthy of God's kingdom or something like that. Not only, guys, not only does God not expect you to have it all figured out, right? You can't have it all figured out. And so what does he tell us? What are we told over and over in the New Testament to live by instead? Faith. There it is. We live by faith. Faith is the most childlike attitude you can have, right? Being like a child, it means, 
Think about what it was when you were a kid or kids, what it's like for you. It means trusting in the parent to know what needs to do when. Amen. Right? Trusting in the parent to have the, to, to, to have the way out when that's needed. How are we going to get out of here? We trust in the parent, right? To know where the next meal is coming from. I never go to my kids and be like, I don't know what we're going to do. Adeline, how am I going to make another meal? She trusts that I'm going to have that figured out, right? She hopes it's hamburgers and tacos, but, right? But, but she trusts me. And to, faith is trusting that the next right step that, that our parent will lead us in the next right step, even when we can't conceive of what the whole journey looks like, right? We have no idea, but we trust in the parent. So having the humility of a child means, it means being free from the burden of being the one in charge. That is a great burden to be free of. I don't have to be the one in charge. Being like a child means not being too prideful to look foolish. It means being willing to say, I really don't know. But I know that God knows, and that's good enough for me. I don't have to know, because he knows. He's a good father, right? Now, here's another thing this frees you from, friends. <clears throat> Having to have not just an opinion on everything, but the right opinion on everything. How many of, uh, maybe not everybody, how many of you have felt an especial urgency, maybe over the last few weeks, over the, the, the terrible thing that happened in Israel, have you felt an urgency to like kind of dig in and know exactly what the facts are? Like what is the history going on there, right? Because why? Because you want to have the right opinion about stuff. You don't want to just be like spoon-fed something and, you know, you be some gullible sheep. You want to know what is the, you know, the truth behind stuff. We want to have the right opinion, and that's okay to want to know the truth. I've done that myself, just, just really felt such a burden about this, and over the last few weeks, just really di diving in, got a, uh, ordered a book that is just supposed to be, you know, the quintessential expert on, you know, all things Middle East, and looking at some of those YouTube videos, like, you know, like that are out there that talk about this side, make sure I'm looking at both sides. People from, uh, watched a video from, from uh, uh, an Israeli, then I watched a video from this Palestinian Christian talking about their, and it's just fascinating, and, and you know what it does? It makes me realize more and more what I don't know. The more I'm learning, the more I'm realizing, oh, Lord, Jesus, come quickly, right? This, this is a job for Jesus, uh, but but the, the thing we can get stressed out about is we, start, we can start to get this idea, I have got to formulate the right opinion. Because if I don't, like millions of people's lives are at stake based on what I decide, right? And they're not, they're not. Um, having the soul of a child, what it does do is allow you to do something that you are commanded to do. And do you know what that is? Love. Having the soul of a child allows you the freedom to go, I don't really know everything. And it turns out I don't have to know everything. What I am called to do is love everyone, regardless of side, whichever side of the wall that they happen to be on. I can love everybody. I can also mourn and grieve tragedy and injustice, whichever side it happens on, right? I, I, I'm free to do that now. 
I am team Jesus. You know, which team are you on? Are you on this one, this one? You do, are you for this? Or, you know, we have issues in our country. Which, te- you know, which side? I could be like, I'm on team Jesus, and I love everybody. I love every man, woman, and child because every single one of them are God's children. I can start to look at things through Jesus' eyes. I can mourn and grieve for the things that Jesus would mourn and grieve over. And, and I, can, I can rejoice over the things that he would rejoice over. The world is addicted to having the right opinion. Like I said, you can have one. It's good to educate yourself. Do educate yourself. It's good to, you know, know what's going on. You can have an opinion. But to be a follower of Christ, an ambassador of the kingdom of God, it means you are not defined by your opinion. So here's the wonderful thing. In this room right now, we have brothers and sisters, the person maybe even sitting next to you, who has a different opinion than you do on some really big issues, right? And I know we do because I talk to you and I hear your opinions. And I think it's awesome because we're united around Jesus, right? We're united. That's what we're unified is by Jesus. And so you don't have to be defined by your opinion. You can hold an opinion, but you're not defined by it. You also, uh, other people do not have to be, they should not be deemed worthy by you based on your opinion. Right? We just get to love them. Doesn't that take some pressure off? We get to love them. We get to love them. All right. There's one other thing. I think this is, this is number three. Are we on three? There's one other thing uh, about being like a child that I think Jesus wants us to recapture. It's something that we very often lose or neglect or abandon over the passage of time. And I think it's something that it's something we many of us crave. We crave it. We long for it. And that is something that children just seem to naturally have, and that is that something is wonder. Wonder. Wonder is a feeling. It's not just a pie-in-the-sky excitement. Wonder is a feeling of awe and curiosity that we have when we encounter something amazing or miraculous or, or beautiful or mysterious. Wonder is the capacity to be amazed by God's creation and God's presence and his love. Do you still have that capacity to be amazed by God and his love? Sometimes we need to ask God, Lord, help me recapture that. It's, it's the feeling of being curious about the ways of God and being open to surprise, to being someone who doesn't say, well, this is the way it's always been, so this is the way it's always going to be. But really, I'm going to let myself be open to surprise. That is a part of being childlike. So wonder is, the, is what is expressed by that old monk when he answered, Huh, I really don't know. See, that's the ultimate expression of wonder, really. It wasn't because he was being ignorant or lazy or he's like, I don't care. That's not what he was saying. He was in awe in that moment of this vast universe created by a God that so awed him that all he could know for certain was that he didn't know everything right? Wonder is the excitement of of knowing God has something new and fresh to speak to us today. Something maybe even greater than like my little pea brain can imagine, right? That's wonder. I want to read you as we close. I want to read you two things Jesus said on two different occasions, right? This is two different times in his life, but I'm going to just show it real quickly here. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus and his disciples were on the way, and he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat 
at the Lord's feet. Now picture that. Is sitting at the feet, that's like on the ground, sitting at the feet. Is that the posture of a know-it-all? Or someone with a teachable spirit? A childlike posture. So she's sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Because Martha's being a grown-up, people, right? Their stuff needs get done, right? And she's doing it. She comes to Jesus. She says, Lord, this is Martha, the grown-up. Lord, don't you care? My sister has left me to do all the work by myself. Tell her to help me. So Mary has taken the posture here of a disciple. And this is even uh, the rabbis, their, their students would sit at the feet and listen. And that attitude of just reception. So she has this childlike attitude. Now I'll tell you something. As, as shown here, when you do this, when you take on a childlike attitude, it will annoy people around you. <laughs> it will annoy the grown-ups around you. I'm just telling you, you will start hearing things like grow up. Don't be so naive. Pick a side. Yeah, people get really annoyed when you have a childlike attitude. Martha, Martha, Jesus answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Isn't that beautiful? All right, over in Matthew, last scripture. Jesus said this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. You know who he's talking to? He's talking to the Marthas and the Marys. He's talking to us all. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble. Did you see that? Here he's not even saying, you be humble. You know, just do what I say. He's saying, take my yoke upon you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. So friends, sometimes the greatest teachers among us are not the people with all the fame. They're not the people on TV. They're not the people with the titles. Sometimes it's the people not who have like published all the books. Sometimes our very greatest teachers are the ones that we tower over all day long. The ones down at our feet, the children. Jesus seemed to think so. He's seem to think that we have a lot to learn from the children, right? Three different places in the Gospels. We just read one of them, but three different places. Jesus says, he, he grabbed a child and said, become like this child. Humble yourselves like this child. Stop trying to be the greatest. Stop trying to know it all. Stop being, and start being the least of everyone. Because that's what their status was of the day. That low social status. He says, all of you who are weary and stressed out and anxious and burdened, look to the children. Look to the children. And when we become like children, Jesus says, we're actually getting near to what God is like. Because Jesus says, I am humble and lowly of heart. 
So you want rest for your soul? Look to the children. We may find that we have a lot to learn from each other. Amen. What I want to do now, right before we leave, I want to do one more thing. We're going to pray two kinds of prayers. Here's what I want to do. If you are here, kids, if you are 12 years old or younger, 12 years old or younger, if it's okay with your folks, kick off your shoes. Just kick off your shoes. You can keep them right there in front of you. Just turn, whoop, whoop, whoop. Yep. 12 years old or younger, kick off your shoes. Okay. And now, I'm going to ask you to do something you will never be asked to do again as long as you live. If it's okay with your parent, and if you need their help, you can. I want you to stand on your chair. If you need to hold their hand, parent, you're welcome to do that. If you're 12 or under and your shoes are off, stand on your chair. Look at all these beautiful... This is the body of Christ that we have to learn from, guys. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. Some of the parents are like, I just told my kid to get off the chair. All right. Now you're telling It'll be chaos from here on out. If, if you have a child who's like too little to get on the chair, you can hold them up like Lion King or something like that, kids. Whatever you want to do. Okay. Grown-ups. Okay, stay on your chair. Stay up there. Here's what we're going to do. Grown-ups, this right here on the screen, this is an ancient uh, Celtic Christian blessing, an old Irish blessing for the children. And so what this is, good, we're gonna, you're going to repeat after me. I'll say the first line, you'll repeat after me. If you're near a child, if you're a grown-up right now, if you're near a child, you can stand up. Grown-ups, you can stand up. Because what I want you to do is, is rate your hand out. And if you're near a child, you can put your, your hand over their, you know, kind of wave your hand over their head. This is the way you would bless that child back in the, the Bible days. Okay, adults, now repeat after me. Here we go. I bless you, precious one. In the name of the sacred three. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May you drink deeply from God's cup of joy. May the night bring you quiet. And when you come to the Father's palace, may his door be open and the welcome warm. Amen. Okay, good job, kids. Y'all can get down off the seats. Yay, good job. Amen. Okay, grown-ups. I want to pray for you now. If you'll bow your heads, grown-ups, I want to pray for, for all of you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much today for this amazing invitation you've given us. It sounds so simple, but it seems so hard sometimes to do, to live as your children. God, I pray that this morning that we wouldn't just hear me say it, that we would hear you say it. Come to me, all who are weary and carrying that heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Thank you, Lord. This is your invitation to each one of us to rediscover the fine art of being a kid in the kingdom. Lord, some of us today maybe have grown a little bit too, too grown up, too callous to this amazing story of grace. God, that you would flood our soul again with gratitude and joy and love and peace. Help us to receive what you freely offer to us, Lord. Help us, Lord God, 
to grow in this life and to grow in maturity, but to never stop being like children where it really counts. In the holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, stand to your feet again as our prayer partners are coming forward now. And if there's anything that you need somebody to just stand with you in person and pray about, they would love to do that. There's just a power in, in praying together. There's a faith that is just ignited when we have somebody and we just pray with them and let them pray for us. They would love to do that. If you want to say yes to Jesus, you just want to surrender to the Jesus who wants to, to lead you. This is a great day for that. God is a good father. Amen. And uh, we hope to see all of you at game night tonight, 5 p.m. All right. Y'all be blessed. Grace and peace.